Hello to all my fellow 101 History Podcast listeners out there. Happy Friday to all of you, wherever you are in this great nation of ours or elsewhere around the world. Uh, just uh, the other day, I um, picked up another uh, nation being Romania. So for any of you who are from Romania, uh, thank you for uh, listening. Um, I now have uh, followers from 15 nations. I don't say this to brag, but anytime... Um, new nations come along in terms of uh, listening to the uh, podcasts that I present to you all, my fellow listeners, uh, that's a great sign that the word is uh, getting out. So I encourage any of you out there who are looking to do podcasting, uh, come to Anchor. It is well worth the while and it's free. And if any of you have friends out there who are big into history, Tell them to come uh, listen to uh, my podcasts because uh, they will uh, definitely get their money's worth there as well. But what's unique about this uh, podcast is that this episode will be our last uh, one on founding martyr, the life and death of Dr. Joseph Warren, the American Revolution's lost hero by Christian de Spigna. And, um, you know, as uh, one... um, we call it as one um, topic comes to an end, there's always um, opportunity for a new one to be um, discussed um, here soon. But tonight's uh, podcast will be focused primarily on Joseph Warren's legacy. Well, when I think of the word legacy, I often think of, um, I like to think of legacy as being something good. However, We do hear of um, stories about not just famous people, but ordinary people who whose legacies don't always end the way we would like for them to. So this leads to a big question tonight or wherever you all are. Some of you, it might still be daytime. Others, it's nighttime. But the big question is going to be the following. How do we go about defining Joseph Warren's legacy? Well, to lead off that um, question will be the following. Did anyone in particular from within the Warren family go above and beyond to keep Joseph Warren's legacy alive? The answer is uh, John, a fellow by the name of John Collins Warren, whom was Joseph's nephew, John Collins was also a medical doctor like his uncle Joseph had once been. So, in 1822, um, about almost 50 years to the uh, anniversary of Bunker Hill as well as of uh, Joseph Warren's death, Dr. John Collins Warren would purchase the land on Breed's Hill, keeping the memory of the Patriot soldiers whose lives were lost intact. In other words, by purchasing the property or the land on Breed's Hill, he was uh, keeping all of those men who had died at Bunker Hill, he was keeping their spirits alive. Uh, I think it was smart of him to uh, purchase that land because if he hadn't, I'm not sure what it would have been used for And this is a good example, like in today's time, where land developers want to build, um, they want to build like retail shops, and it's right near um, uh, historic monument areas, uh, which should be totally preserved to honor those who not only lost their lives, but to just preserve the scenery in general. So Dr. Uh, John Collins Warren made a very shrewd move by uh, purchasing that land on Breed's Hill. Now, the next year, being 1823, a handful of prominent Boston citizens, including uh, John Collins, Warren himself, helped establish the Bunker Hill Monument Association for the intent of building a monument in honor of the battle. And by 1825, the association itself had purchased the entire battlefield. So that makes us now wonder, hey, what's in the works for a monument Well, of course, you know, building a monument itself just doesn't happen overnight. There's got to be money involved. 
and not just money. You know, people are going to debate on where to put the monument. How is the monument going to look? Uh, how high should it be built? And uh, what's the best view of the monument so that people coming in, a, in and out of, in this case, Charlestown, um, how, I mean, by coming in and out, you want people to not only get the best view, but but you want them to be able to identify with the monument itself. So this is what I, uh, there's some very interesting things about Dr. John Collins Warren. Yes, he's a medical doctor. As a matter of fact, there are many um, members of this family who have, um, especially on the male side, because we have to remember at one time, uh, only men were doctors. Of course, women... uh, Still have a long way to go. Yes, women are nurses, but in terms of women being doctors, that uh, will change over time. But at at this point in time, we still have to remember that um, men are the ones who are the physicians and um, and the head doctors of their communities. Dr. John Collins Warren amassed a collection of over 6,000 books to a vast assortment of fossil and human specimens, and his collections also included pathological and anatomical specimens. What I find interesting about the collection of over 6,000 books, it almost reminds me of uh, the um, immense collection that Thomas Jefferson himself once had. As a matter of fact, uh, Jefferson was often quoted as saying, I cannot live without books. Well, I, I think he and uh, Dr. John Collins Warren would have had a lot in, co- uh, in common in that uh, area of, um, of educational learning. I do find it interesting about his uh, assortment of fossil and human specimens, but given that he's a doctor, um, it's probably worth keeping the human specimens because it's his way of being able to understand how the human body itself works, not just in the short term, but for the long term, and what he can expect to learn um, in the future, because, you know, medicine evolves with time. Uh, Like in today's time, uh, there are far more um, better cancer drug treatments than there were, say, 25 years ago. And we'll probably say the same 10 years from now compared to what there is now. So, but um, let's uh, move forward to the year 1855. Now, what's unique about 1855? It is the 80th anniversary of the shots heard round the world from Lexington and Concord to the battle that marked no turning back. And what do I mean by the battle that marked no turning back? It, it meant that, that the um, patriots led by Joseph Warren were not going to um, turn back and become subjects to the crown. And that battle uh, that defined, uh, what do you call it, the uh, point where there was no turning back, of course, was none other than Bunker Hill. But what's interesting about August 1st of 1855 is that Dr. John Collins um, Warren, he wanted to move his Uncle Joseph's remains one last time. Now, um, why would he want to remove his uncle's remains? Well... I can tell you this much, that uh, Joseph Warren's um, remains have been moved quite a bit since he um, died back in 1775. He was originally, um, you know, it took, uh, for those of you who just need a 101 reminder from the uh, previous night's podcast, Joseph Warren's uh, body was not discovered by his family for about nine months after Bunker Hill. And when his when two of his brothers spotted his body, they were just in um, in, in an incredible state of disbelief. And I would have too if it had been a family member of mine. Remember, folks, he had been mutilated very badly by the British, and his body was buried less than three feet below the surface. It was badly decomposed. Um, the wound that uh, killed him, being the shot that. Um, felled him right below his left eye and exited out of his um out of the back of his head that wound was still very visible so dr john collins warren does get approval to have his uncle's um 
remains removed from the old uh, granary cemetery. And John himself purchases a new family plot. This one is eight feet deep. It's a 500 square foot tomb and a 275 acre um, area, uh, 275 acre tract uh, known as the Forest Hill Cemetery in Roxbury. And how fitting it would be to relocate his uncle's uh, remains to Roxbury because for one, that's where the family's from. Um, and it would just be a more fitting and um, respectable place. And I think it's fair to say that John is doing this because he he would have he would want his uncle to be buried back where he uh, came from. And even though Joseph himself, you know, accomplished so much, he still never forgot where he came from. So hey, why not bring your loved one back to where he um, originally came from? Now, I think here's something else that is very, very worth sharing with you all. John Collins Warren was a co-founder of Massachusetts General Hospital. Now, Massachusetts General um, is a very well-respected hospital, not only nationally, but internationally. And if any of you uh, find that interesting enough, how about this one? John Collins Warren would become the first doctor in the United States to perform surgery with anesthesia. So let's remember this, folks. There was a time when um, there were no such things as anesthetics. Matter of fact, my wife and I learned uh, one time when we went to Colonial Williamsburg that the first anesthetics were not introduced until the 1840s. So what do you know? Uh, John Collins Warren was alive to see that big breakthrough. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe the first um, anesthetic that was used was chloroform. I'm not sure how effective chloroform was. But obviously, uh, whatever um, John Collins Warren used to perform surgery with anesthesia, it was probably more than just one step above, uh, say, uh, chloroform. I tell you this, if I was alive during the time that he was, I would like to have him as my doc. I would have liked to have had him as, as my doctor because he would have known what he was doing. <laughs> but of course, you know, back then those people didn't know any better. They just managed to, they did the best they could, but still knock on wood. I'm, I'm glad that we have um, anesthetics. So um, on August 3rd of 1855, General Joseph Warren's remains were removed from the vault at St. Paul's Cathedral in Boston. Now, I take that back. I thought he had been buried all this time at the old uh, Granary Cemetery. But it turns out he is actually, uh, for some time, he, is, he was buried at the old Granary Cemetery, but then his uh, remains were uh, moved to uh, St. Paul's Cathedral in Boston. Well, General Warren's remains were in a delicate state of decomposition. And as I mentioned earlier about the hole that, um, or should I say the bullet that uh, felled him that went just below his left eye, well, Joseph's nephew, John Collins, when he examined uh, the remains, he saw that that hole created by the ball that struck his uncle in the face remained very visible. Now, what does that tell you right there, folks? Even after 80-some years... Wounds like that never go away. So after examining the remains themselves, they would be placed in a delicate vase which marked on the outside Joseph's dates of birth and death. Now, here's another interesting uh, twist to this whole saga of uh, finally, that is, finally laying Dr. Warren to rest once and for all. Was John Collins Warren um, alive to, still alive to have seen his uncle get buried at the final resting place where he still is buried even to this day? Uh, the answer is no. John Collins Warren died in May of 1856. But his uncle, Dr. Joseph Warren, 
would not have his remains be reinterred until August 8th of 1856, the day he was finally laid to rest at Forest Hill Cemetery, where his grave still stands today. Now, many of you are wondering, how old did uh, John Collins Warren live to be? He lived to be 77. And that, for, and that age, to have lived to have been that age during um, the time of the 1850s was pretty remarkable. So, I'm sure many of y'all are wondering, why did it take so long to bury Joseph Warren again? That's a good question. I uh, wished I had the answer to that. I would certainly hope that there weren't any politics behind it, but um, but the bottom line is, is that I, I'm glad that um, Joseph's nephew did get to have his wishes fulfilled, even though, yes, he died three months before his uncle was reinterred one last time. But the bottom line is, is that the family did get uh, proper closure. And you think about it, in 1851, that's 81 years after he died. Here's a question we uh, should think about here. Do most Americans know about Joseph Warren? I hate to say this, the answer is no. But you know what? For a long time, even I myself did not know about Joseph Warren. So I, I, I fell into that category at one time. Uh, I could be honest with you guys right now. I didn't know about Joseph Warren until maybe give or take about three or four years ago. I learned about him um, through a, a documentary on the um, one of the history channels. And it had to do with the um, American Revolution from the start to the end. That is the war. And so I remember learning about this man named Joseph Warren and why he was such a pivotal role. Then I decided, um, after seeing this book, uh, Founding Martyr, at the bookstore and learning about it online, then I thought to myself, hey, this might be worth reading about. I'd like to know more about this man. Why is he the founding martyr? And what do you know? I got all the information I needed. And that's why I'm sharing it with you guys. So, why is it fair to say, though, that most Americans ha aren't familiar with Joseph Warren? In my honest opinion, I could say that this can be attributed to the fact that many historians and writers have focused their time and energy writing about famous revolution heroes like George Wa like General George Washington. And, and to back it up, it's best to say that everyone for years had assumed that Washington himself became commander of the Continental Army as early as April 1775 when the first shots were um, fired or heard around the world. But historians now know that another man also displayed George Washington-like features in leading his men out into battle, like George Washington himself, being first in war, first in peace, and first in the hearts of his countrymen. Joseph Warren's presence as a military figure, I personally believe, met the same criteria. Yes, and it is easy for all of us to assume that George Washington had been commander of the Continental Army as early as the start of April 1775, but now we know that's not true. He was in Philadelphia. As a matter of fact, um, there was a documentary I saw about five years ago titled uh, Sons of Liberty, and the gentleman portraying uh, George Washington he was in Philadelphia. He even made his case to the um, to a handful of other delegates about how uh, dangerous of a man uh, British General Thomas Gage was. He called Thomas Gage a cancer, not just a cancer to the people of Massachusetts, but perhaps a cancer to the rest of colonial America. And while, yes, Washington did meet a few um, delegates who were critical of, of this um, not just of the of the remarks he made about General Gage, but really about the whole uh, notion of wanting to separate from England. The bottom line is uh, Washington made a very good case, and even though he was hesitant to want to take on the role, not just he wasn't hesitant about taking the role of commander. It's just that he felt that 
he didn't have the proper credentials. But hey, if Washington doesn't accept it, it's not like the delegates can just pick up their phone and say, hey, who's going to be next in line uh, because Washington declined. Washington knows he's got a golden opportunity here to uh, serve his country. It's a high calling. Joseph Warren saw this as a high calling too. But now it's time for someone else to take the reins. And yes, Samuel Adams and John Hancock wrote those letters instructing Joseph Warren on how to uh, conduct the transition. But sadly, they didn't know that the inevitable had happened and that he had lost his life, as I mentioned from the previous night's podcast. Now, I'm sure many of you all are wondering, well, how has uh, Joseph Warren um, re-emerged? And that's a great question. I will get to that one here um, eventually soon. But I can say that his um, re-emergence or rediscovery by historians has been a good one. And I hope it continues to stay that way. One reason why Warren's name alone has been forgotten, or I should say another reason, it can be due to the fact that his death alone at Bunker Hill superseded his accomplishments, ranging from medical doctor to political statesman. Well, I guess to sum it up is that, yes, he fought at a battle, but his life was more than just one, it was just more than one um, chapter. You know, we all have different chapters in our lives, but his whole life wasn't dedicated to just fighting in a battle. Now, I should uh, go through uh, some more of a, uh, what I call a chronological uh, timeline. In 1777, two years after Warren's passing, the Continental, the Continental Congress had first proposed a memorial monument in honor of Joseph Warren. It was introduced by Samuel Adams, but the city of Boston was unable to approve. Now, I will say this. Why, why didn't the city of Boston approve of this? My gosh, they were the hotbed or the cradle for independence. It wasn't that Boston, the people of Boston or the city itself didn't care. Apparently there were some um, personal reasons for why they just could not do it at the time. It had nothing to do with being against Joseph Warren. I can promise you that right there. It's just that, um, as an old saying goes, sometimes, um, yes, you can propose something that's a great idea, but it may just not be the right time or right place to, to do it at that exact moment. But the good news is that in 1843, or rather I should say June 17th of 1843, which marked the 68th anniversary of the Battle of Bunker Hill, the nation's first major revolutionary war monument was dedicated at Bunker Hill. It was a 221-foot obelisk monument honoring the soldiers whom lost their lives, but it also included um, a baker's dozen of uh, what I call surviving veterans. Of course, all of us should know what a baker's dozen means, 13. And what do you know? The lucky number 13. There were 13 surviving veterans of that battle. I, you know, I often wonder, you know, what were their age ranges? I do know this, that there are, historians know that there are a handful of Revolutionary War soldiers who lived to be well into their 90s, and there were some that even lived just past 100. So it's very possible that we could have seen a handful of, uh, of these 13 surviving veterans, perhaps um, close to 90 years old. But to think 13 of them were still alive by 1843 is remarkable unto itself. You know, as the country expanded well after um, the time that the Constitution went into effect, you know, here we were 13 colonies and then 13 states. Uh, by the time uh, George Washington left the high, the high office in 1797, there were uh, 16 states 
um, in the in the years after the government was first established, beginning around 1791, Vermont and Kentucky were accepted into the Union, and then Tennessee. And then by the time Thomas Jefferson became president, Ohio was admitted. So you had 17 states. Of course, by 1843, you have a plethora of other states that have been gradually admitted into the Union. And with all this um, westward expansion, it does bring about a lot of good, but then it also brings about changes that are not for the better. I don't want to get off track but I can tell you this much, when the Civil War broke out from 1861 to 1865, Joseph Warren's own legacy had suffered a great deal, most notably from Southerners, but even to a certain degree from up north. In 1865, author Richard Frothingham became the first author to publish a complete biography on Dr. Joseph Warren. It was titled, The Life and Times of Dr. Joseph Warren. And believe it or not, folks, yes, there. of course, we all know that there were authors back then, but for Richard Frothingham, this might have been like a national bestseller for its time. However, uh, 10 years later, in 1875, uh, the centennial anniversary of Bunker Hill takes place. And what I find unique about that is because one year later, our country celebrates, will cel would have celebrated its centennial, 100th anniversary. You know, when the centennial anniversary at Bunker Hill took place, as Christian D. Spigna pointed it out, it brought in a new sense of hope and reconciliation for the nation. Given that just ten years earlier, the Civil War had bitterly torn and divided the nation. And it probably is safe to say that it still was already dividing the nation. And, it's, and we should also remember, too, that Reconstruction is still going on. The South is still being rebuilt. And what do you know? Union and Confederate troops marched together one by one on a ten-mile path journey. So think about it. For one day... North and South did set aside their differences. Maybe not all the northern and southern states did, but soldiers did. And they marched together as one to honor those troops who paid the ultimate sacrifice, not just by fighting in a battle against England, but by showing um, to the other uh, but by showing to the American people and to uh, colonial America as a whole that hey, we're not going back. In other words, we're not going to return to being um, uh, subjects who are um, going to be treated like dirt. We're actually going to um, step up to the plate and go head to toe and be just as manly about this and fighting um, the king's army in a battlefield, not just a battlefield, but in um, open combat. And no matter what sacrifices there will be, we will know that we still paid the ultimate price. So the bottom line is we needed to remember those men who did pay the price because even in the darkest of times, their legacies cannot be forgotten. And the same goes for Joseph Warren. And, and on that day of uh, June 17, 1875, it was a day that was marred by, a countless, marred by countless festivities honoring Joseph Warren so it was nice to know that he actually had some, um, what do you call it, rediscovery. But after, eight, after this 1875 centennial celebration, Joseph Warren's name would once again fade away from the national attention or the national spotlight. Charlestown, home to Bunker Hill, would become an immigrant center or a haven for Irish Catholics. But uh, in the years that would follow, even after um, uh, Irish Catholics started making their way into uh, Charlestown, the Bunker Hill celebration itself or the festivities would become more about ethnic diversity versus Warren's legacy, along with what the battle itself had stood for. You know, it's one thing to have immigrants come in, and I'm not saying this is wrong, but 
I think it's unfortunate that um, they had forgotten what the true meaning of the uh, of the uh, celebration or the uh, festivities original intent was all about. It was about one man, not just one man, but one man who um, who uh, laid the foundation for how um, for how a, a ragtag group of uh, men of uh, fighting men that is went head to toe with the mightiest empire in the world or the mightiest military, let alone, I should say. Now in the 20th century, Joseph Warren has virtually disappeared from all contexts. The world is engulfed in two world wars along with new tactics surrounding modern warfare and genocide. But what I find ironic is that in 1981, January 20th of 1981, a new president was sworn in. And I remember growing up under this president. And boy, do I miss him. I think our, our country could use another Ronald Reagan more than ever. But he was my favorite. He was, he'll always be my, one, of the, one of my all-time favorite presidents I ever lived under. And why do I mention Ronald Reagan here? Because at his first inaugural address, he mentioned, he went about mentioning Joseph Warren's name. Reagan referred to Warren as follows, a man who might have been one of the greatest among the founding fathers. So how do I interpret that? Well, Joseph Warren laid the blueprints, the foundation for what was necessary to attain freedom. Not just to attain freedom, folks, but freedom from tyrannical rule. But at the same time, obtaining, attaining freedom from tyrannical rule is one thing, but how are we as individuals going to exercise those freedoms, not just in the present, but how we can um, pass them down to future generations? You know, just because we have freedom, it doesn't stay um, stagnant. Freedom must be... Um, it must be engaged in all the time, but it must be engaged responsibly. And of course, there are people out there who abuse their freedoms. But the best thing we as individuals can do is, not, is to set a good example on how to use freedom appropriately, but not to take it for granted, but don't abuse it in the manner that would make you unbecoming. Now, I mentioned earlier, and now I'm going to answer this question to you all, because some of you are wondering, how, when did this resurgence of Joseph Warren uh, begin? Well, at the start of the 21st century, there has been a rediscovery in whom this man was during the time he lived. There are a handful of other books that are worth mentioning, uh, books ranging from Nathaniel Philbrook's Bunker Hill in 2013 about the 1775 battle to Benjamin Karp's Defiance of the Patriots written in 2010 about the Boston Tea Party to Liberty's Martyr by Janet Ular from 2009. Now, what do you know? Four years ago this month, on October 22nd of 2016, the 6th Masonic District dedicated a new memorial bronze statue at Warren's gravesite. The event itself included a handful of Warren's direct descendants. And how appropriate for a Masonic District to dedicate a bronze statue, or not just a bronze statue, but a statue in general of Joseph Warren. And how so? Because Joseph Warren himself was a Mason. So he would be smiling from above knowing that, um, that the um, Masons are still in existence today. But those uh, who are in um, Masonry haven't forgotten what it means to be a Mason, but also have not forgotten what, what he uh, championed. Well, despite the regional memorials and displays honoring Joseph Warren, does he still remain in the shadows of other prominent men? 
And what do you mean by other prominent men? Well, I'm referring to those men like Samuel and John Adams, to John Hancock and Paul Revere. Yes, he still does remain in the shadows. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, as much as I am uh, passionate about the American Revolution and enjoy learning about it, I would say it's, um, it's a not-so-good thing. But I would say that um, as historians learn more about him and publish more books, not only just about him but what he was a part of, I think he will gradually emerge uh, from, from under the shadows and um, eventually earn the same rank and status as, as the men whose names I mentioned a moment ago. But I do know that when most Americans are learning about the American Revolution, they are heavily focused on the year 1776, which is a very important year because it marked our official break with England. That is, the delegates in Philadelphia all came together finally after realizing that all hopes with reconciliation were just no longer um, doable, that they all came together to sign that document to declare their separation from England. But what we have to be reminded of is that the years from 1770 to 1775 are just as pivotal. The events from that timeline, which consist of the Boston Massacre from 1770, the Boston Tea Party of 1773, to the intolerable acts, as well as Suffolk resolves from 1774, to the battles of Lexington, Concord, and Bunker Hill in 1775, what do all of those um, events have in common, folks? They all involved Joseph Warren, not as a person, but a leader whom laid out our country's agenda by staying on the offensive. He didn't sit back and let the, and let the enemy intimidate him. By engaging the British on the battlefield, Warren himself had helped set the bar for future military leaders who could carry out the cause for independence and leading large groups of men who were willing to make the ultimate sacrifices, not only for their time, but in securing the freedoms to be passed down to future generations. So, therefore, folks, we just have to, we've got to keep in mind that 1776 just didn't happen overnight. And, and I'm not just talking a year. I, what I'm getting at is that, you know, for years we, even my father told me this, for a long time when, when he was coming through school as a kid, he told me that uh, the teachers would always talk about how they, um, how the signers convened and got together and signed this document. It made it sound like it was just a three-day affair. I hate to tell you this, people, it wasn't. The Continental Congress had been in, um, had first convened in 1774 and then it reconvened in May of 1775 because the British had not um, offered any hope of reconciliation or making um, amends from past wrongs. So what we see painting-wise from 1776 um, events like the Declaration of Independence, that just represents everybody coming together as one, which is important. But what we don't realize is that all of the events that I just mentioned a moment ago from 1770 to 1775 are what help bring us to the moment where all of the delegates came together to declare their separation from England. So uh, while being regarded as a hero, Warren's life has been heavily focused on the day of uh, June 17, 1775, Battle of Bunker Hill, where he sadly lost his life. And that is true. Um, yes, he is a hero, but the focus has been primarily on that day alone. So now that leads me to um, tell you all uh, some other stuff here. From 1776 and onward, only a small number of writings, or let alone works, published works, I should say, have mentioned Joseph Warren's name. And after, 
death at Bunker Hill, the level of recognition for his contributions in helping achieve independence from England become greatly unnoticed. We all need to be reminded when, whenever we hear about the Suffolk Resolves, for example, I mentioned that from an earlier podcast, the Suffolk Resolves were crucial. Why are they crucial? Because it, it compiles a list of grievances that, um, that the leaders from Massachusetts have um, declared unfair and what we might think of as unconstitutional to, um, in terms of what uh, Parliament has done, not just to uh, Massachusetts, but what they have the capability of doing to the other colonies. Because, uh, like for example, when the Port Act was put into play, because the Intolerable Acts folks were a series of uh, multiple acts, but the uh, Port Act had closed this, the uh, Port of Boston and pretty much brought the um, city's economy to its knees. And that's when other um, cities, and uh, rather I should say uh, members from other colonies, um, began um, pouring in um, money and uh, sending goods up to Boston to help those who were in dire need. But the bottom line is, is that when Joseph Warren... Um, brought about the Suffolk Resolves in 1774, he had Paul Revere go by horseback to Philadelphia to send the resolve, to introduce the resolves, um, or the Suffolk Resolves to the um, delegates. But had, had it not been for Joseph Warren's work, it's very hard to determine how the delegates in Philadelphia could have come together as one. Warren's, um, Suffolk Resolves had called, one of the most important pieces behind the Suffolk Resolves had called for a boycott on all imported British goods coming into America. The non-importation agreement was the first major step in getting members from 12 of the colonies present to come together as one. Not just to come together as one, but to, but to find common ground that would lead towards um, other things that they could find common ground with that would eventually make them all come together and say, hey, now that we've found common ground on so many areas, maybe it's time to go to the next level and say, hey, it's time to, to declare our official break with England. Without Joseph Warren at the helm, the rebellion in Boston would not would have broken apart along with any chances for freedom. Warren himself was always at the forefront of every important committee gathering in Boston to being present at public engagements regarding the unfair parliamentary practices. The bottom line is, folks, is that Joseph Warren might as well have been the mayor of Boston. He might as well have been his own little gov he might as well have been the little governor of Massachusetts. When he commanded, it wasn't so much a question of you obeying him, but when he commanded, he commanded in the right sense. People respected him, those who were on his side, let alone, I should say. But when he commanded, you knew that you were listening to a real person speak. He wasn't uh, looking for 15 minutes of fame. He was delivering messages left and right through not only the best of times, but through the darkest of times, especially when uh, the intolerable acts had been uh, passed, and how he basically kept that light, or that beacon of hope for um, freedom, that freedom itself would, would have a chance to, um, to flourish, not just for those living in the present, but for the future. Before the Battle of Bunker Hill, and we're getting towards the end of the podcast here, folks, but uh, before Bunker Hill, Joseph Warren said the following to his fellow patriots, and I, and I find this to be very important. When liberty is the prize, who would shun the warfare? Who would stop to waste a coward thought on life? I answered that uh, quotation as follows. If liberty is the prize, then why turn your back away on the sacrifices at stake? Freedom isn't handed to anybody. 
you must go out into battle and fight for those whose lives are dependent upon the cause before you. Don't squander Don't squander the what's relevant. In other words, don't don't squander away on what's relevant. In other words, what I mean by relevant meaning meaningful. Yes, we could we as individuals could be putting ourselves in harm's way, but if we know it's for the right reasons, then do what's necessary to take a stand. Because if you don't take a stand, then who might? So the bottom line is for Joseph Warren, if liberty is the ultimate prize, then you just can't expect someone to come up and say, here, I'm going to hand you your freedom. Joseph Warren knew that the British were not going to back down without a fight. He knew that going uh, head-to-toe with the mightiest uh, military force in the world was not going to be a cakewalk. But the best thing he did that day was rally troops. He and, think about 2,400 men up there on that redoubt, giving everything they had. Yes, they repelled two assaults. And gosh only knows, if they had had more men that day, they would have been able to have repelled that third assault. The outcome would have probably been different. And who knows, maybe Warren would have lived. But the fact is, is that he, he, he gave up his own life so that so many of his other fellow patriots could live. And that, to me, is a, a, a strong example of what Jesus Christ himself was about. Jesus knew that there were people out there who didn't like him. But yet Jesus also knew that he could make a difference in the lives of those who were... Um, how do I say it, who were, um, whose voices were ignored or who uh, were not uh, valued upon. Jesus did cater to people from all walks of life, but as we all know, there were those who did not like him. And what do you know? Joseph Warren had his enemies, especially from within the Tory camp, as, and um, not just from the Tory camp, but from the British but when you compare the two men, they both um, they both laid their lives on the line so that um, people not only living in the present could have a better life, but for those in the future. Remember this too, folks. I, I actually, I saw this on a bumper sticker some years, a few years back on my way to work one morning. Only two uh, people have ever um, have ever died um, to protect your uh, freedom or let alone I should say two people have died on the cross to protect your freedom one of them being Jesus Christ and those serving in the military think about it folks Joseph Warren served in the military he may not have had the most he may not have had the illustrious career or, uh, or a more prominent distinguished career like George Washington, but he served in the military. And yes, his death was a very barbaric one. Jesus Christ's death was barbaric, being um, crucified on the cross. The British soldier, soldiers taking their bayonets and stabbing Joseph Warren to death even after he was officially dead, that both men endured barbaric deaths. But both men obviously have... Both men, uh, their uh, spirits are obviously not forgotten. Now that we've learned more about Joseph Warren, probably in the last 20 years, we know that he exemplified many of the same traits that Jesus Christ himself had. So the bottom line is, folks... No matter where you go, you just need to remember that two men die, two people have died on the cross. Number one, Jesus himself and, the, and those serving in the military who, have, who are protecting your freedoms. And despite the death on the Bunker Hill battlefield on June, on June the 17th of 1775, 
Joseph Warren's values and principles still live, live on, and his story is one of inspiration. Well, Jesus' Jesus's story is one of inspiration, too. You know, Jesus came from humble backgrounds just like Joseph Warren did. Joseph Warren helped people. Jesus did, too. And yet, sadly, they both died a tragic death. But you know what? We must remember this, too. Not all of our most, um, what do you call it, famous uh, people whom we've learned about, not, not, not everyone gets to die a peaceful death. But one thing we should remember, too, is that for Joseph Warren, as tragic as his death was, we should remember how many lives he probably saved that day. But we should also remember that if it hadn't been for him, I'm not sure who would have carried out the fight that day in Massachusetts. Who knows? Who knows um, if uh, we could have even repealed one assault, let alone. Well, folks, uh, this has been a great series. And if any of you want to read this book, Founding Martyr, The Life and Death of Dr. Joseph Warren, The Americans, American Revolution's Lost Hero by Christian D. Spigna, I strongly recommend doing so. You won't regret it for one minute. And um, I also strongly recommend uh, going onto YouTube um, and typing in his name. You can find some great documentaries there. Um, and if you find any other books out there, um, even uh, the couple of them that I mentioned earlier, uh, I'm sure they are very well worth reading about. Well, I will be back on the air again here sometime soon um, to sh let you all know what the next uh, podcast is going to be about, or let alone, I should say, where the time machine will take us. But wherever the time machine takes us, it will be worth rel it will be rel relevant, and it will be worth the time. And and for those of you out there who have been listening to me since the beginning of June, thank you again for your support. It has been well worth the while. And, um, and encourage anyone who's um, interested in not just history, but wanting to know more about the subjects that I have talked about, tell them to come to Anchor. It is well worth the while. They can also find me on Google Podcasts, Spotify, um, Podbean, um, Spotify, um, anywhere on any of those sites so the bottom line is um, I will be back on the air with you all again here soon and I look forward to uh, sharing what's going to be next in store take care and uh, good evening